Good morning, brethren. Good to see you all again. Good to be back here together. Actually, be together. <clears throat> so, greetings in Jesus' name to you and to also those that are watching from home or wherever you are. <clears throat> it's always an opportunity that we get to open God's Word and seems miraculously he faithfully speaks to us, <clears throat> despite the messenger. And uh, we trust he'll do that again this morning. <clears throat> I don't necessarily feel like I have it all together to put it in those words. <clears throat> so bear with me, pray for me. Um, so let's, let's have a moment of prayer here before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we lift our hearts up to you. We give you worship. We give you praise, Lord, for you're worthy. So we see you, Lord, in our hearts, seated upon the throne. Lord, we give you the adoration that we can in our, in our earthly state. <clears throat> and Lord, we thank you that you saved us and called us to be your children, to be kings and priests unto you. And to rule as kings on this earth. <clears throat> Lord, so we commit ourselves to you. I commit this word to you. Commit myself to you, Lord, that you would speak. Lord, help me not to waver. Help me to just bring the word that you've given to me. <clears throat> so bless our time here. Bless the others that are to speak. And each one that hears or shares. Pray that your name would be glorified now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so my title this morning is What is Our Lifesaver in Trials? <clears throat> and I don't know if I make. Uh, I don't, I don't know, maybe the opening is supposed to be a, a cheerful, a uplifting, and, and hopefully this can be, but <clears throat> I don't know if it's just my perception, uh, maybe it's yours too, but it just seems, um, and today, if you observe the news at all, you will see that there's an increasing anti-Christian sentiment growing in our country, and uh, a lot of uh, attacks against the principles that we hold dear to us. Uh, just seems to be happening again and again and actually growing in momentum <clears throat> and in some ways uh, successfully. So it, it causes me to, you know, I consider, um, you know, what do we do about that? And I'm not here saying let's get involved politically and all that, but uh, just, <clears throat> so what's it going to take for us to weather the storm? Uh, it seems like this is only the beginning of the storm we see on the horizon. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't desire it. I don't think any of us do. Uh, but it seems to be something that's coming. And <clears throat> so as I see that, or I think I see it, um, I have to ask myself, and in this message, what will it take for us to weather the storm? So I got some uh, questions. What, what exactly will it take uh, to weather the storm? And 
Of course, I'm assuming here some form of persecution. I'm going to just call it trials, not to overblow it in size. Um, So will it take commitment and resolve? Is that what it's going to take? Is it going to take our commitment and resolve? And I think the answer to that is definitely. But will that alone carry us through? I know, I think we can look back over history that many religious people have went through a lot of trials, um, in some form victorious, at least faithful to the end, but they did it without Christ. Um, And we see that even today. Um, Suicide bombers, whatever you want to call it, many, with their commitment and resolve, will go through immense amount of trials for the cause that they have at hand and maybe not even a religious cause so while it's respectable and noble i believe that we can acknowledge that it will take more than sheer commitment and resolve to be a victor in trials so and again why this is while this is very important in our life to have commitment and resolve i think it alone is not going to carry us through Excuse me. So another question, will it take being bold and not having the fear of men? And uh, I think we say, yes, it will take that. Definitely will. Um. But is that alone going to be what it takes? Romans 1.16, and this is Paul, I believe, writing this. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. <clears throat> Again, in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So, yes, that's something we definitely need to war against is not being ashamed. Being bold and putting away the fear of men. And uh, I'm going to read here in Ezekiel where uh, I believe God was speaking to the prophet. Ezekiel 3, starting in verse 4 through 14. And he said unto me, remember we're speaking about being bold and not having the fear of men. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. 
impotent. <clears throat> Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and their forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears, and go, get thee to them of the captivity, unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them. Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear. Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. I heard also the sound of the wings of the living creatures that touch one another, and the noise of the wing of the wheels over against them, and a noise of a great rushing. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. So again, yes, it will take boldness and being able to overcome the fear of man, and I think that's something we deal with. <clears throat> And then uh, I'm going to read in Luke 21. Also down this here on this subject. <clears throat> 12 through 15. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. So God, or Jesus here is saying that in that time, when you're brought before kings and rulers, I will be with your mouth and will give you a mouth that they cannot resist. <clears throat> Mark 8.38 says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. <clears throat> so while being bold for Christ... And not having the fear of man is important. It is not the only thing that is going to bring us through in these trials. <clears throat> and I'll get to that thing, but I, I think it is the core of what we're going to need. <clears throat> so will it take having a thorough understanding of scriptural doctrine? <clears throat> is that what it's going to take, having all their... As we say, T's dotted and I's, I's dotted and T's crossed. <clears throat> so while understanding scriptural doctrine is very valuable and beneficial to have in life, of itself, it will not save us in the time of trial. Now James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And I think here... Um, you know, maybe I don't have facts to back this, but I do believe that the devil actually understands Christ's doctrine quite better than we do, and uh, yet it does not save him. 
So will it take a life that is faithfully practicing religious principles? While this is very essential to our Christian life, in and of itself, it will not grant us victory victory under trial. Second Timothy 3.5, it speaks of those that they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. <clears throat> so it's possible to have a form, but not have the power. So is that what it's going to take? Um, Reliance on religious principles. Jesus in Matthew 23 pronounces woe after woe on the religious people of his day. Obviously, though, they were very religious in their practices. They did not meet his approval because of what they had left out. And he says, you left out the um, judgment. I don't actually have it in front of me here, but I think you know. Actually, I do. I'll just read it here. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. So there, there, there again you see um, a people religiously practicing, and it's nothing, it's not wrong, uh, but neglecting a greater thing. <clears throat> so while all of this is important, I believe that it is our love of God that will save us in a time of trial. And uh, I know I don't want to demean all these other topics I brought up, but I think when it all boils down to it, it's going to be the love that we have for God that will carry us through. <clears throat> so you see in the Old Testament the love of God is so important that when Moses brought the Old Testament commandments to the children of Israel the first commandment that he gave to them was to love the Lord and that is the Old Testament <clears throat> I'm going to read some of that in Deuteronomy 6 so I'm going to read 1 through 15 we'll just kind of get a scope here of what he's saying now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And then here he starts with his commandments. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And uh, 
I just think that's significant that when he, even in the Old Testament, when he comes to give, as we all know, we know this as the Ten Commandments, but when he begins giving it, the first one he gives is that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. And I, I really think that's a, that's a core of our Christian life. If we're missing that, um, everything else is going to kind of be on shaky ground. <clears throat> Continuing on. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets before between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou findest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods and the gods of the people which are around about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. So there we see um, kind of the, it's not totally the, the beginning of the Old Testament, but it's the beginning of the law of Moses, that it was founded upon the love of God and the love of our brother. <clears throat> And I think that still applies today. <clears throat> so, we all know David uh, quite well. Wrote a lot of the Psalms. And at least what I think of David is he was a man that was chased through the mountains, uh, fought battle after battle, and yet um, through it all, there seemed to be... Uh, a thread through his life that he loved God. And you can see that in his Psalms, and I'm going to read some of them, just portraying in his trial what, what came out of his heart. Psalm 511, But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Psalm thirty-one, twenty-three. O oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Psalm ninety-one, fourteen. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Now I think this is God speaking of the person. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. <clears throat> and here is not a direct love of God statement, but close. 
Uh, David one nineteen ninety seven says, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And I think it'd be kind of hard to love God's word and not love God himself. Psalm one sixteen one, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Psalm one forty five twenty, the Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. So you see again here that, of course I'm I'm taking snippets out of it, but he again reinforces the fact of the importance of the love of God in our life. So what will the love of God do in our life? And I found this a a challenge myself. Um, The love of God will draw you to prayer even when you could do without will bring you to his word even when there is other more exciting things to do, will provoke you to give when the need could be ignored, and will help you be faithful under trial even when there is an easier way that you could take. So I think in whatever trial, maybe it's a trial you'll face today, tomorrow, this week, or maybe greater trials in the horizon, um, I think it is the love of God within us that's going to bring us victoriously through. <clears throat> if we have that love of Him, I think everything else will take its place. <clears throat> so why do we love Him? And I think, uh, I don't think it would take real long. I mean, if you have the love of God in you, you could identify why do you love God. And I think maybe we would all say similar things. <clears throat> but I have two points here. Why do we love God? <clears throat> we love God out of faith, out of thankfulness, because he saved and forgave us. <clears throat> and I think primarily that's, that's where our love begins, because he has saved us. Uh, before that, we didn't have a love of God in us. First <clears throat> John four nineteen, we love Him because He first loved us. So we love Him because He gives us peace when nothing else will. He relieves our burden of sin when nothing else will free us from it. He makes us children of God when we were orphans. He makes us kings when we were beggars, and he gives us eternal life when we were to receive eternal judgment and condemnation. That's why we love him, if we're his child. And we read in Psalm 118, a few verses. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. 
The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? That's her testimony. I believe the love of God will well up within her hearts. Number two, we love God because he is our father. I think God should represent to us what a father should be, a security, a source of wisdom, and our provider. And that's, I think it's one of the reasons we love him. He's there for us. He's our security. Um, Just a, I guess a little testimony as a young boy. I remember, you know how it is. Sometimes you wake up from a bad dream and you're you're just scared out of your wits. And you want someone where you can go to for security. And I remember... At least sometimes, if I if that happened after four o'clock in the morning, I could rest secure because Dad always woke up at four, and Dad's awake. You know, <clears throat> I could I could rest secure even after a scary dream that I was just terrified. I look at the clock. If it's after four o'clock, Dad's awake. Everything's okay. I can go back to sleep. <clears throat> he was a dairy farmer, so he got up to milk the cows early. But anyway, that's what God should be to us. And our God does not slumber or sleep. And that should give us a purpose, a reason to love him. He's there for us. In our fear, in our turmoil, in whatever trial we face, God is our father. He's there for us. And we should, or we will, I believe, love him for that. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 33:27 says the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. <clears throat> he is your refuge and underneath you are those everlasting arms. Everlasting they will always be there. <clears throat> Psalm 62:7 In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. <clears throat> I'll read a little bit out of Romans here. <clears throat> 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So that spirit of adoption within us says, Abba, Father. Read some in Galatians here. Galatians 4, 3 through 7. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made after the law, 
to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And of course, that also applies to daughters. <clears throat> so, as I close with this, I uh, just want to leave you with one thing. In, in Jude 1, 21, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So if you're going to face trials, I think our foundation needs to be the love of God that will keep us through all things. And I think the rest will follow. God is sufficient. Okay. May the Lord bless you.